Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Friday, uh, June the 17th. It's been a terrible week on Wall Street, a terrible week for the American economy. Um, looking at the headlines today on the Wall Street Journal, the S&P 500 notched its worst week since March 2020. Um, and uh, the FT chimes in, U.S. stocks suffer steepest weekly fall since the onset of the pandemic. Uh, this isn't, of course, for most people, particularly good news, particularly those of us with um, savings and those of us uh, with investments on Wall Street. But I'm curious what environmentalists would think. Some of my guests on the show recently uh, might not be too disappointed. Jason Hickel is the author of Less is More, How Degrowth Will Save the World. Uh, Jason was on the show uh, a couple of years ago, um, and he believes that the planet, the environment, needs saving from capitalism, not from people. Tim Jackson, another academic was on the show. He has a new book out, Post-Growth, Life After Capitalism. He makes a similar kind of argument. I think, though, that my guest on the show today, Bob Keefe, who's the author of a new book called Climate Nomics, Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle to Save Our Planet, would disagree with uh, Hickel and Jackson. He's joining us from uh, San Diego today. Bob, what do you make of arguments by environmentalists like Jason Hickel and Tim Jackson, that the only way we're really going to fix our environmental crisis is by getting beyond capitalism. Well, I, I don't think that's right, Andrew, and thank you for having me on. And I don't think it's right because uh, for the past 20 plus years, the organization that I'm grateful to run these days, Environmental Entrepreneurs or E2, has uh, grown to about 11,000 business people all across the country who understand that the economy and the environment are not at odds, but in fact, they depend on one another. And um, thanks to some of the technologies that we've seen, some of the investments that we've seen over the years, when it comes to things like clean energy, when it comes to things like electric vehicles, when it comes to things like energy efficiency, we're in a better place than we've ever been, uh, which might sound contrarian coming from someone who is uh, dedicated to, to the environment. But the fact is that um, we have the technology to do some great things right now. We need some policy to make sure that, that everybody can access those technologies. Bob, what do you make of the current economic situation? There's a crisis of the supply chain, an inflationary crisis. Um, overstimulation. We've done some shows this week on the flooding of the monetary system. How does this fit in with your argument in climate nomics? Well, the fact of the matter is climate change is battering our economy, Andrew. I mean, last year alone, the United States had nearly $150 billion worth of damage from climate-related disasters. Wildfires in the West, so many hurricanes in the East that we ran out of names for them flooding and drought in our nation's heartland that uh, since then has driven up the price for everything from, from cornflakes to chicken. Uh, that's impacting us every time we go to the grocery store. 
But look at just what happened to see the, un, the connection between the climate and the economy. Look at what's happened just in the past couple of weeks in America, Andrew. Uh, as you know, we have a, a baby formula crisis. Uh, and the price of baby formula has gone up something like 18% from a year ago. Well, in Michigan this week, the biggest factory for baby formula reopened only to close again because it got flooded uh, right after it opened. In Kansas, the third largest cattle state in our country, more than 2,000 head of cattle were killed by extreme heat and humidity, and it's not even summer yet. Uh, and look at the heat wave that's gripping the states uh, all across the country right now. An estimated 100 million Americans are stuck in record heat, 100 degree plus heat that has shuttered schools, it's shuttered businesses, uh, and it's had to send construction workers off of the job, for instance, and it's sent electricity costs soaring as more people crank up their air conditioners to try to, try to survive, really. So the costs are uh, really starting to add up, and we've got to do something about it. Well, I, I don't think that people like Hickel or Jackson would disagree in terms of the costs. Yeah. Their argument, and you know, it's not really probably for me to make Hickel or Jackson's argument, but they're not here, so I can perhaps suggest some outlines, is that the problem is that capitalism and saving the environment simply aren't compatible. Whatever you do, you're going to create more demand, more products, more factories, yeah. uh, more environmental destruction, even the electronic, uh, the, the, the EVs, uh, obviously they're an improvement over, um, uh, over gas cars, but they may not be ultimately a solution to fix mm. the planet. How well, would you respond to that? I mean, uh, what what you're saying seems almost in climonomics to be too good to be true. It's the old American argument. We can be good and we can be profitable and rich all simultaneously. Right. Well, I think the difference now, Andrew, and, you know, I, I spent about 20 years as a, a journalist before I started doing what I do now. Uh, and a, along that time, I covered the technology industry, for instance, in Silicon Valley and Austin, Texas, and across the country, really. And to watch the technology that has evolved when it comes to things like clean energy and the results that has had uh, in terms of economic impact and in turn impact to the bottom line of businesses has just been hopeful. Let's put it that way. I mean, solar and wind right now is the cheapest power there is in almost every part of the country. Every automaker is shifting to electric vehicles. Why is that? Because they're better over time. They cost less to operate. And we're all sick of tired of paying five or six or seven dollars a gallon for gas. And look at simple energy efficiency products. Look at LED lighting, for instance, that uses 90 percent less of 90 percent less energy than the incandescence that we've used for we're tied to for over a century. But then think about what that looks like when you deploy them in some of the biggest businesses uh, in this country. Right now, every single major business is shifting to clean energy. Every single business is looking at electric vehicles for their transportation needs. And every single business is looking at ways to cut their monthly power bill. Um, and it's working. It, they're they're leading. Is the it way. working? No, I mean, uh, my the airline I travel on all the time, United Airlines, has promised right. us or promised uh, us the world that by 2050, which is an awful long time, right? Um, they'll that they, they they will be 
and I don't even understand really what this means, carbon neutral. But meanwhile, um, airlines and airline travel is one of the principal causes of, of the environmental That's crisis. Right. Isn't, and I don't want to pick on United. I just know them because I fly on them. The other airlines are, are just as guilty of this. Right. Um, can we really trust businesses? I mean, your group, your group E2, what exactly do they do? Your business leaders for a better environment. Some people might suggest that even that is a contradiction in terms. Well, what our what our members do is, or what we do with our members is we put them to work. We put them to work talking to lawmakers at, in Washington and state houses around the country. Do you uh, have airlines as clients, as members? Uh, we don't have airlines as, as members. We have people that are investors that probably invest in airlines. Uh, and right now, some of them are investing in things like uh, electric-powered airlines that, believe it or not, are are um, are, are in the not-too-distant future. And but that fixes, that fixes again, I, I don't want to make this a conversation yeah, yeah. about airline travel, but yeah. those are exactly the kind of rather seductive and, and vague promises that never seem to work out in practice. You mentioned the tech industry. Right. Uh, you've covered that. Uh, the tech business hasn't been good for the environment, has it? I mean, take a company like Amazon. Right. Uh, their enormous, uh, their enormous distribution centers. Right. The way in which our obsession with getting stuff overnight has resulted in uh, more and more pollution. Uh, surely that isn't the fix. That's not the right fix for the environmental crisis. Companies like Amazon. No, of of course not. When we talk, when we're talking about the amount of deliveries they do. But what if Amazon could lead uh, in the deployment of electric vehicles? They're, they have a big investment right now in a company called Rivian, uh, which is really helping spur that company to grow and spur the adoption of electric vehicles. Amazon, just you know, to bring up Amazon, but every other tech company in America right now is shifted to 100% ener uh, clean energy. Uh, and that's a good thing when you realize that those companies use some of uh, more electricity than just about uh, any other industry of its type um, uh, uh, out there. And so if we can get the big companies that run these data centers that allows you and I to talk by video right now to use solar and wind instead of coal and gas, well, then that's a, that's a good thing. Is the fix, Bob, yeah. solar... And electricity, I've heard many arguments that suggest that electricity requires um, the the burning of significant amounts of coal. These are these are very controversial issues. Where do, do you and your organization, for example, stand on nuclear power? Because some people see nuclear power for all its political problems mm. as 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 better for the environment, better for the planet than either. Well, maybe not so much solar and wind, but certainly electricity. Yeah. Well, there's two things about nuclear that we need to figure out. Number one is what we're going to do with the waste from nuclear plants. And that's an issue that we're still grappling with right now. The other thing is what we're going to do to bring down the exorbitant costs of nuclear. Uh, if you look at the last nuclear plant that's been built in America, it's still being built, by the way, in Georgia. It's plant vocal and outside of Savannah. Uh, the operators of that or the, 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 the um, contractors that are building that have gone bankrupt several times now. Uh, it's cost hundreds of billions of dollars and it's still not done. 
Now imagine if we could use some of that hundreds of billions of dollars and invested in uh, sources like solar and wind and give people uh, the opportunity to use those things on their houses and their homes and their businesses directly. Solar and wind seem to me to be complete no-brainers. Um, yeah. The Chinese are pioneering much of the, the, the solar industry. We did a show with Fred Bergstrom recently on the United States versus China. He's very much a defender of the United States political system. But there's no doubt that the Chinese um, have been much more effective in dealing with some of these bigger issues. Is that because of the absence of democratic politics in China that supposedly enlightened Chinese leaders can just make these calls and, 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 and pursue massive investments, massive government investments um, in issues like solar and wind? Well, I think it, it comes down to a couple of things, Andrew. Number one is um, the United States lost a step or lost four years of steps uh, when it comes to advancing clean energy and looking at climate change as something other than a hoax. Uh, fortunately, we're getting back. Isn't in... that too easy, though, Bob? We're always, especially on a day like today, when we're looking at January 6th, everything gets yeah. blamed on Trump. America didn't have a particularly impressive environmental record before Trump either, did it, even under Obama? Well, you know what? Uh, Yale and Columbia just came out with a report, I think, a few weeks ago, uh, Andrew, that showed, that ranked uh, 180 countries uh, on where they are on climate. And uh, right now, the United States ranks about 101. That was down from 15. Um, Which is pretty shameful. I mean, even 15. It's very it? shameful. Yeah. And and this is the country that's supposed to be leading the world. Uh, but the well, good news is there's no reason we can't lead the world. Why, what, when you say it's supposed to be leading the world, who says? <laughs> the, the, the United States has always uh, positioned itself as leading the world. It likes to think it's leading the world, but it likes to think it's leading the world. It's not leading the world. It's not leading the world on clean energy right now. It's not leading the world on climate, but we need to change that. What is your uh, What is your take on the Biden administration? They've talked loudly about their contribution to the environment. They found a press release from last month suggesting Mm. that the historic progress on environmental justice. Um, Now, of course, they would say that, and they're not going to say that they haven't made historic progress. Um, Are you impressed, both as a writer, as an activist, but also at E2, about Biden's commitment both to the environment and innovation around the environment, business innovation? Well, look, the the fact of the matter is there's, there's never been a president or there's never been an administration that has focused more on climate change and on clean energy than the Biden administration. Uh, and this this last election in America was really a, a bit of a referendum on that because if you remember, every single candidate for the first time ever in history ran on very, uh, on the Democratic side anyway, ran on a very, um, uh, a, a very climate-centric platform. Now, the president... I have to call you out. Uh, I'm not convinced of that. I think certainly Biden won the election because it was a referendum on Trump. I mean, he did talk about the climate. And certainly in the 
the midterms and the expected midterms next year, uh, I haven't had a lot of, I haven't heard a lot of talk about the environment, but, well, but sorry, I interrupt. No, no, no. Well, the, my, my point is that climate has never been a, a cam campaign issue in a presidential election like it was in the last presidential election. Um, if you look at everybody from Jay Inslee to Elizabeth Warren to Tom Steyer to everybody else, climate was a platform. But my point is, the Biden administration has made climate and clean energy a bigger focus than any administration previously in this country. Uh, it's been stymied in Congress, obviously. Uh, the policies that the president wanted to pass have not gotten passed. That said, they've done some, some good things that are really going to matter and they're really going to pay off. And look at things like government procurement. The government is the biggest user and buyer of goods generally, but including uh, uh, of energy and vehicles, a huge buyer of energy and vehicles. If the, if the president through executive order can, who runs the government can shift all of our uh, government purchases of electricity to cleaner sources, that's gonna have a huge impact. If they can shift vehicles to electric vehicles, that's gonna be a huge impact, not just in the initial, um, uh, economic boost to the companies that produce those things, but it's going to send a market signal, if you will, to the rest of the markets that this can be done. Uh, um, Bob, yeah. uh, you mentioned that the environment was a big issue. Uh, Tom Steyer, who has an introduction to your book, a, a right. billionaire environmentalist or multi-billionaire environmentalist. I mean, he bombed in the, in the primary, so I'm not convinced it, it was a particularly popular or um, uh, effective issue. But uh, alongside that, you, you keep on talking about electric vehicles. I take your point. Yeah. Certainly electric vehicles are better than gas vehicles. Yeah. But doesn't America need substantial reform as in Europe or China or East Asia in terms of, of weaning people off? Absolutely. Vehicles entirely and massive investment in, 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 in particularly in railways and in public Absolutely. transportation. And that goes against much of the ethos of American capitalism. Well, here, here, here's what I would say is that the fact is we have the technology to do this right now. We have the desire to do this. If you look at any polls about what people want, they want cleaner energy. They want cleaner vehicles. We're not in the 1970s when Jimmy Carter put solar panels on the White House and then expected the rest of the world to follow. Uh, because they were too, and, and it didn't happen because they were too expensive then. We're not in the early 90s when General Motors introduced EV1, the little electric vehicle that it subsequently killed, uh, that nobody really wanted. Uh, the solar panels of today, the Teslas and uh, every single other make of vehicle now being made by uh, uh, automakers, foreign and, and domestic, are not the EV1. So the technology is there, but the thing is, we need to figure out a way to get these things to more people, uh, to more Americans, and do it in, in ways that they're more affordable. And that's where so, government, so I, I take that's where government comes in. That's yeah, where policy let, comes in. Right. Let, let's pursue that. So let, yeah. let, let's accept. I, I'm not convinced you're right. I think it would be much better to invest okay. Significant amounts of money, trillions of dollars in public transportation, but that's another issue, and that's politically not realistic. We haven't even managed to build a 
uh, high-speed railway between where I am and where you are in Northern right. Cali- in Southern California. So that's probably not p- politically realistic. So let's just say that we can indeed really address the climate crisis through this shift from gas cars to electric vehicles. I live in San Francisco. It's Tesla city. I'm a two-car Tesla household. Uh, the wealthy of San Francisco and the Bay Area and of San Diego, they're all driving Teslas. You know yeah. that as well as I do. Yeah. How are we going to get electric vehicles into the hands of middle class and lower middle class Americans, particularly at a time of economic crisis? Recession is on the horizon. Uh, yeah. People are not going to be willing to spend money on Teslas or right. other electronic ve- uh, electric vehicles, which generally are more expensive than gas cars. That's why they haven't caught on yet. Right. Well, fortunately, every automaker now is coming out with electric models that are going to be cheaper than Tesla's, right, for starters. Uh, for second, when you add up the price of filling up a gas car right now, you're spending 100 bucks uh, at the gas pump every couple of weeks. Uh, the price of that is going to be uh, increasingly untenable for a lot of Americans. But thirdly, again, goes back to the policy. We've got to figure out ways to get more of these uh, advancements in the hands of everyday people. So how are we going to do that? So let's policy. go back to Joe Biden. Let's say he's reelected, or uh, and no. as you say, he's. He's not shy of of talking about the environment. What can he do over the next six years to get uh, EVs into the hands of tens, maybe even hundreds of millions of Americans? Well, let's talk about what he can do over the next six months or maybe even the next six weeks. Okay, even better. We've we've got a policy that's been sitting in the the Senate since September that would expand uh, and extend tax credits for electric vehicles. Uh, for instance, we have policies that are sitting in Congress since last September that would expand tax credits and put new investments into wind and solar to make these things cheaper. Uh, we have the same policy would expand energy efficiency programs. So uh, folks who are uh, worried about their monthly power bill can do things like add insulation and uh, switch to high-efficiency heating and air conditioning systems. That policy is sitting in Congress. It needs to get passed. Why isn't it being passed? Uh, in part because of a gentleman named Joe Manchin. Uh, uh, this is the what the remnants of President Biden's Build Back Better Act. Uh, but as we understand it, they're uh, coming closer to uh, working out a deal on that, and we're very hopeful that they will for these reasons. How destructive do you think Manchin has been? Of course, the so-called Democrat, I mean, one wonders whether he really is a Democrat, but the formerly Democratic president from West Virginia, who um, some people at least believe is in the pocket of the coal industry. Well, obviously, it's not just Joe Manchin because there's 100 senators in the Senate. What about the other ones, uh, regardless of party? And certainly it's been on the Republican side that is totally against anything that the president wants to do uh, that have been stymieing this as well. You're unusually optimistic as an environmentalist. You seem to think that if we could just get this electronic vehicle stuff through, that everything will change. But I've had so many people on the show suggesting that things are really bad. Eugene Linden, for example, a distinguished American environmentalist who, Mm. in his new book, um, 
fire and flood suggests that the path to a livable future is becoming narrower and narrower. Do you, do you share Lyndon's pessimism? Well, look, lest you uh, think I'm too much of an optimist, I mean, let's face it, we've had three of the most expensive wildfires in our country's history in the past five years. In the past five years, we've had four of the most expensive hurricanes, the most expensive freeze, $200 billion in damage in Texas, of all places. We had the most expensive thunderstorm event in Iowa, destroyed $7.5 billion worth of crops. So uh, things are bad. Things are bleak, bleak when you look at the state of climate and the impacts on our economy and our environment in America. But I also have to look back to Andrew and, and to think about my days as a, as a technology reporter, for instance. And I can certainly remember sitting in a, a meeting with Steve Jobs of Apple and other reporters and Steve telling us, someday you're gonna have a thousand songs in your pocket. And someday you're gonna be taking photos with your cell phone. And as skeptical journalists, we wrote that down while we shook our heads and kind of muttered under our breath that that would never happen. I remember sitting with Jeff Bezos back when he was struggling to try to, to sell books on the internet saying someday you're going to be able to buy anything and everything off of my website. And of course we all doubted that. But Andrew, look at how quickly those technologies came about and look at the difference that they've made uh, in our world. And, Although they and, haven't, yeah. as we talked about Amazon and Apple earlier, I mean, they haven't necessarily benefited the environment. Well, they certainly haven't necessarily benefited the environment, but those technologies change things pretty quickly. And my point is, solar, wind, electric vehicles, energy efficiency, battery storage is all where those things were when I was writing about them 15 years ago. So that really, from your point of view, that's the, the fix. If we can get solar, battery right, then we it, can fix global warming, we can fix um, the rise in the sea levels, we can fix the climate crisis, all those things are fixed. If, if we reduce carbon emissions in this country and on this planet, that's the fix. Uh, the way we do that is by shifting away from uh, carbon uh, or um, uh, products that, what, that increase carbon emissions. And by shifting to clean energy and away from fossil fuels is the way to do that. It's one way to do it. It's not the only thing we need to do. We need to make our buildings more efficient. We need to do something about more sustainable agriculture. Yes, all of those things. But I'm hopeful uh, because of what I've seen with the pace of technology and what happens when business gets behind it, by the way. Uh, and that's happening right now. Do you think Chris, Chris Goodall was on the show last year as well? He believes, and, and he's a, a, a carbon uh, guy, um, he believes that meaningful climate change stands a better chance as a centrist issue. He thinks that the left and progressives have taken over the issue yeah. and alienated uh, conservatives. Do you think there's any truth to that, that we need to refine our messaging? Uh, I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And part of the reason that I wrote my book, Climatonomics, was to show that climate change is not just an environmental issue anymore. It's not just a social issue. It's not just a health issue. It's an economic issue, and it's a huge economic issue. And the fact is, I don't care if you like polar bears or if you believe in science, if you drive a Prius or a pickup truck, 
The fact is climate change is killing our economy right now. Uh, but the good news is we can save it and save the planet if we do the right things uh, and move to a cleaner economy. When you say it's killing our economy, I take your argument that it hasn't done a lot of good, but the, the, the well, medical look, crises I mean, at... today, the crises of inflation, yeah. um, uh, and uh, overstimulated economy, are those bound up with the environment? Well, look, I mean, look at the numbers. Revisit that number I mentioned. That was from NOAA, by the way, $150 billion worth of direct climate damage uh, last year alone. That's the equivalent of the gross state product of about 17 states. Imagine if we just wiped out the gross state product of uh, 17 states, for instance. Look, uh, but then the, the costs go far beyond just the direct cost, Andrew. I mean, look at homeowners insurance. Homeowners insurance has gone up 40% over the past decade, 18 consecutive quarters now, uh, in large part because those insurance companies are having to pay for those houses that we're watching burn on the nightly news in California or Colorado. And yeah, we had yellow skies in, uh, we had yellow skies a couple of years ago in San Francisco. Yeah, that's right. Uh, look, look at the cost of food. Uh, if you look at the, the Bloomberg spot index for agriculture commodities, for instance, complicated, but it's really not. It's the breadbasket of goods, commodities that, that we ultimately pay for at a grocery store. That, that index is doubled in the past year in part because of the, uh, hurricanes and, and floods. Yeah, but, but again, Bob, some people would argue, and we've had a number of shows about this, that the reason food should be more expensive, that it's too cheap. Um, it's certainly the, the price of food is not having a good impact in terms of our personal health. Yeah. And that one of the, the core reasons for our environmental crisis is the industrial nature of agriculture which has pushed the price of food down, but hasn't benefited the environment. How would you respond to that? Well, you're absolutely right about that. We need to find better ways to produce our food in this country. There's no doubt about that. There's also no doubt about the economic cost of climate. Can we have everything though, Bob? You're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're selling this thing as an American politician as if, well, we can have everything. We can be more prosperous, we can save the environment, we can have electronic, we can have electric vehicles. Yeah. Don't we have to give up something? Doesn't this require a degree of sacrifice? You're making it sound too easy. We, we have to give up our dependence on fossil fuels, for starters. That's Which not easy. Pain. That's not easy. It involves some pain, doesn't it, Bob? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the good news is we can we can create some uh, uh, some good things out of that. I hope we can. Finally, um, we did a show recently with a couple of uh, academic writers, Kerry Arsenault and Bathsheba Demuth mm. from Brown University, who have a new uh, 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 institute there bent on teaching people how to tell effective stories about the environment. You have your own way of telling a story, both personally through your book, Climatom uh, Climatomics, and through uh, E2. Mm. Is that really the challenge, Bob, that we need to tell better narratives? I don't think it's about telling better narratives as it is as, as much as it is about 
realizing the full effects of something like climate change. Uh, you know, again, we've all looked at climate change as an environmental issue uh, or a social or a health issue. It's an economic issue. And to tell the truth, once something becomes a pocketbook issue, people start to pay attention, whether it's people in Washington, D.C., or you and I when we go to the grocery store. Well, that's your message, that the environment is an economic issue. It's a pocketbook issue. You outline it in Climatonomics, Washington, Wall Street, and the economic battle to save our planet. I'd actually love to get you on a show with someone like Jason Hickel. It'll be an interesting conversation. Um, congratulations on the new book, uh, Bob, by the way. Uh, and I think it's an important message. Uh, what else are you reading these days? What other books either about the environment or other issues would you suggest people read in these difficult times? You know, I am uh, have been deep into a book for longer than I, I would care to admit it because it's taken me so long, but it's Wilderness Warrior by David Brinkley, which is the story of Teddy Roosevelt's conservation mm. uh, and how he literally changed what America looks like today. By the way, in in uh, oftentimes in direct uh, conflict with Congress and what other people wanted. He stood up and he did what he thought was right. And we have things like the Grand Canyon and and, yeah, and, and we've done a number of shows on that and yeah. um, with, uh, with Tony Hiss, for example, who believes that we need to take half the land in America off the economic table and yeah. simply use it to protect the environment. Are you on board with that? I don't know about that. I don't know about taking land off the table. We certainly need to preserve more land in this country. I don't know about half. Uh, 